Wyatt mentioned, uh, I am the, am the father of two sons, and then we started fostering three additional children um, just this week, and so we're delighted God's added to our household, uh, but it has been uh, a challenging week, so if I lose my mind uh, on stage, just please uh, uh, humor me a little bit. So, so let's pray uh, before we get started and just ask God to help us. Um, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, what we most need this morning is to hear from you. And so we pray uh, this morning that uh, you would just speak freely, that you would say what you want to say, and that you would open the, the eyes of our hearts to see what you want us to see, and um, give us the, the courage to be contradicted and corrected, uh, help us to uh, not, not take offense at what Jesus says, but instead follow, and we need the Holy Spirit to come and enable us to do that. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, my, just to give you a little background about myself, um, vocationally, I, my, my job title, I work for a company in Austin called HomeAway, um, and my job title is I'm a senior user experience designer, um, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a little bit of a computer geek, and I also um, work on smartphones. So if, you, if everybody has a smartphone, you, you probably do. Um, a user experience designer is a person that um, designs the way an app looks. You know, when you launch an app on your phone, how does it look? So someone has to design that. And then also, um, what does it do? You know, when you tap on something, where does it take you? What functions does it have? All of that needs to be architected by someone. And so, by the grace of God, that's what I do on a daily basis. I, uh, HomeAway is a vacation rental by owner website, and so they help people who own homes to rent out those homes to vacationers and travelers. And, so, and we do business all over the globe. So it's, it's an honor to, to work at that company. And so I wanted to say that at the outset just to say, um, you know, on the subject that we're taking up today to talk about, which is work, um, I, I identify with all of you uh, in this topic. I mean, I've got to go to work tomorrow, um, and a lot of you have to go to work tomorrow. Um, so I wanted to say that at the outset. I'm, I'm with you in this. So everything that we're going to talk about today, um, I am personally uh, experiencing as well. And so I also wanted to say I have observed some demographical differences between this service and the late service. So I know that when I use a word like work, um, in this service, many of you may be hearkening back to what you once did, uh, the career that you once had, the success that you once saw. Um, so I wanted to say that from the outset. Like, I, I understand that, I get that, um, but we're also going to be discussing, in essence, your livelihood and what, what you are taking up to do now. Um, you may be retired, but you are thinking about and doing things uh, related to your living, 
and managing your living and earning a living. Maybe you have a thing on the side. Maybe you have a vacation rental home um, that you work and manage. Um, all of that um, kind of falls under the category of work that we're going to be talking about. So let's uh, get a Bible out if you've got one. Um, if you don't have one, there should be one in your uh, pew. And so I wanted to just kind of cue up the, the first slide if we could. Um, we will be talking about this question today. What do Christians actually believe about work? You know, with, this is a huge uh, category in our lives, if you want to think about categories. Just in terms of time allocation, resources, energy, thought life, this occupies a huge chunk of our attention uh, in our lives. And just in, in terms of hours, this is probably like the majority of our lives are spent thinking about things in, in, in this category about work. So it's imperative that we understand what does the Bible actually say about this? What do Christians actually believe about work? Um, and so that, that will be the question that we ask. Um, and I wanted to go ahead and lay all the cards on the table from the outset, and, and on the next slide, we'll, we'll see the key takeaway that all of us walking out of the doors after this service is over will hopefully be thinking this. If, if God is pleased and I don't fumble the football too much, um, we'll all walk away thinking, what I do for a living, what I do, is not merely a job, it's a calling from God, you know, what, what I do. You may think, well, I have heard about this calling thing, and maybe some people have that, but not me. I, I just have a job. It's just a regular old job, um, and so this concept of calling, um, maybe that just, I don't identify with that. It doesn't doesn't resonate with me. I do have a job, but calling seems to be more reserved for something special that um, you discover, uh, and it's an exception to the norm, right? Maybe doctors have a calling. Maybe, maybe lawyers or you know, great leaders and CEOs, that, now maybe they have a calling, but me, I just have a job. Um, so what we want to do is dig on that a little bit and try to see um, what's underneath that. Why do we tend to think this way? Where does that come from? Okay, so let's, uh, let's do that. Let's see if we can analyze. Uh, the next slide will show kind of how we're going to approach this. What, how will we tackle this topic? Um, we're going to look at this in two parts. Okay, so the first part, part A, we're going to deal with misunderstandings about work. You know, how, how could we understand work that would be um, not in line with the Bible, sort of we just kind of absorb a way of thinking about work that just doesn't add up, it doesn't quite sync with what the Bible uh, actually teaches us. Um, so we'll look at some misunderstandings, and then we'll look at the gospel understanding of work. So how... Would those misunderstandings be addressed and corrected and realigned with what Jesus teaches, what the Bible actually says 
uh, about work. So that'll be kind of how we'll approach that. So let's just take uh, three common misunderstandings um, about work. And so the three common misunderstandings that we'll look at, first is this one. It says, church work is spiritual, but my work isn't. Okay, church work, we're pretty convinced, is having to do with God and it's spiritual, and when I serve uh, in activities that are organized by the church, maybe take place on the church uh, grounds, all of that, we're convinced, is spiritual in its orientation, but then I have work that I do, you know, tomorrow, Monday, um, it's all lined up and I have all these activities, that I'm not so sure is spiritual, it doesn't really feel spiritual, um, so let's, that'll be the first misunderstanding. Uh, the second misunderstanding we'll look at is that work is a curse on humanity, okay? So work itself is a, is a curse uh, from God that we all have to do, um, and we may think that, because it certainly does feel that way sometimes. Um, it will probably feel that way at certain key moments for me tomorrow. Um, but So we'll look at that misunderstanding. The third one will be, I do what I have to to get ahead. So I have this special set of rules that apply to my working life that um, I'm okay with because work is, is, is cutthroat and it's brutal and I'm a tough businessman and so I have this set of rules that, that I'm okay with when it relates to work because I do what I gotta do uh, to, to earn a living. So those are the three, there are more uh, misunderstandings that we could, if we had more time, uh, look at, but those are the three that we'll uh, take up for our discussion. So let's just take one of these at a time and see if we can make sense of it. So the first one that we look at is the church work is spiritual, mine isn't. Uh, misunderstanding. So if we ask the question, how, how did we come to think this way? How old of an idea is that? Um, what we would discover is that there, we, we could go back in history um, ways, a good ways, um, centuries even, and uh, pull from history a few cases where we could see this thought um, kind of encapsulated as an example. Uh, one of those would be from the Jewish Talmud. So the Jewish Talmud, Talmud is Hebrew for instruction. Okay, and I just threw a, a slide up there with an example. You'll see the Hebrew uh, on the right, um, which maybe you would want to read if you can. Um, I'd, <laughs> I would be thoroughly impressed if you could uh, make sense of that. Hebrew is read from right to left. So that's the Hebrew on the right. And then on the left is the uh, English translation of that uh, specific excerpt. So let's just read uh, that excerpt for, for what it says, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So, um, what used he to say on leaving? And I'll just say, so this is, this is an example of what a rabbi used to say in a prayer 
upon leaving the temple. Okay, so these are words that um, a, a, in rabbinic Ju- Judaism, um, in centuries past, they would say this prayer upon leaving the temple. Okay, let's just look at what, what is said here. It says, I give thanks before for my sound. Um, I give thanks before thee, O Lord my God, that thou hast set my portion with those who sit in the house of study and not with those who sit at the street corners. For I and they rise early, I to the words of the Torah, but they to vain matters. I and they labor, but I labor and receive a reward, whereas they labor and receive no reward. I and they hasten, I to the life of the world to come, but they to the pit of destruction. Okay, see that, that sentiment where there, he's essentially the, the rabbi saying, God, thank you that when I put myself to work, I am working on these holy things. I'm doing uh, spiritual-oriented things that really, really matter, and so my activity in that category is, is above um, everyone else that I see in the marketplace as I stroll toward the temple, and I'm, I'm, I'm thanking God for that, okay? So we see this uh, in our own Bibles. We, see, we hear Jesus echo this. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Let's, let's just look at Luke chapter 18, verse 11 together. I'll give you just a minute to turn there. Um, and then I'll go ahead and start reading. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. It says, The Pharisee... Standing by himself, prayed thus. This is Jesus speaking. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Um, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay, so here in this example that Jesus uses, he, he is um, calling to mind a scene, an often uh, repeated scene. Um, so that prayer from the Jewish Talmud, Jesus had observed that in practice, and so had everyone else uh, in the society, where the Pharisee would actually say, uh, to God, this sort of uh, self-righteous prayer, saying, my job and my activity is holy, and God, thank you for that. I thank you that my work is holy, but these people, their work isn't holy. And then we have a tax collector whose job is to collect taxes for Rome, and rather than him saying anything self-righteous, he humbles himself, and he beats his own breast, and he says, God, have mercy on me. I know I'm in great need of you. I know that in everything that I do and am doing, the starting place for me is an understanding that 
God alone is righteous. Have mercy on me. So Jesus commends um, the disposition of the heart of not the Pharisee, but the tax collector. Okay, so um, if we take up the, this, this misunderstanding that church work is spiritual but mine isn't, the gospel understanding, the right way to understand this is that all work is an arena for worship, all of it. So it's not just what we do in this place, in this building. It's not just the activities that the church organizes. It's, in fact, everything that we can set ourselves to do in this life is worship. It's not just singing songs. It is worship can be found in the very mundane uh, activities that you and I have to do just to manage uh, our lives. So this is a stewardship given to us by God um, and a chance for us to worship him. So I'll just probe on you a little bit um, with this question. You, you might be able to get at what is in your own heart um, and see if you have these distinct categories for secular and sacred um, with this question. How much do you actually talk to God about the small details of your business? The, the seemingly mundane, the, the insignificant, the meeting that's going to happen tomorrow, you know, the, the contract that you're trying to get done, the, the emails that are coming in from your colleagues and coworkers, the, the piece of business that you have your eye on that you're trying to prepare estimates for, all of this, all of that in that category, how much do you bring that before God and say to God, how might I worship you and I together, Lord? How might you and I together bring you glory by the way I can do this, this stuff, this work-related stuff? Is that making sense? Everybody tracking with that? Have I, anybody want to leave? Um, <laughs> i just give you that. You always have that out. Um, please don't do that. Okay, so... All work is an arena for worship. Um, let's look at a couple of examples of this being taught, this very thing being taught a long time ago. Okay, so this is what is most needed for us, in my opinion, is not for us to recover some, or pioneer some newfangled way of thinking about work, like this is some new idea. This is not a new idea. This is a very old idea that somehow in, in, in history has kind of gotten covered up again and again and again. So I want to show us just a few examples in, in, from the writings of old dead people with strange hairdos, um, like this wig-wearing man, uh, for example, whose name is John Cotton. So John Cotton, he lived from 1584 to 1652. Uh, he was the ordained minister of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, he's an English uh, minister. And so we just pulled a little bit from his teaching. This is what he once said. He says, a true believing Christian lives in his vocation, and vocation is a big word that just means your job, your career, your profession, 
lives in his vocation by his faith, where he says, not only my spiritual life, but even my civil life in this world and all the life that I live is by faith of the Son of God. He exempts no life from the agency of his faith. So these two categories between what is sacred and what is secular just blow up in, the, in, in terms of the gospel. There aren't two categories for the Christian. You don't have a special category over here for business and then a special category over here for church. Everything falls under one category and everything is spiritual when you're united to God by faith, everything. So let's look at one other uh, quote. So this is from Richard Steele who lived from 1672 to 1729. And he says, and it looks like they go to the same uh, hairstylist, um, but he says, God doth call every man and woman to serve him in some peculiar employment in this world, both for their own and the common good. The great governor of the world hath appointed to every man his proper post and province. So you hear him say that? You hear what he's saying? He's saying what I'm trying to say um, a little more eloquently than, than what I'm doing. But what he's saying is that what you set yourself to do tomorrow on Monday is from God. It's, it's a peculiar employment in this world. God has given this for you to do, not only for your own good, but also for the common good, for serving society making society better. This is the way God can bless others and serve others, is in the small little details of what you do tomorrow and what I do tomorrow on Monday. Um, the great governor of the world has appointed this uh, for every man so, and, and woman. So let's look at this idea in Scripture. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 17, just to confirm that we're not going crazy, okay? This is actually in the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, okay? This is uh, in a familiar passage called, Live as you are called. Okay, so starting in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them. Okay, just think about that. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So this is the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with this passage. The Apostle Paul is saying, let each and every person Lead the life God has assigned it to you. God has assigned it. You do what you do. You have the job that you have. You have the skills that you have. You have the set of responsibilities that you have, not by accident and not as a result of your own doing, per se, but God Almighty has assigned this uniquely to you to do. You know, God has given you this responsibility. He's assigned this to you. He wants, he's asking you to do this. Um, 
And Paul is saying, that's the starting place for my teaching in every single church. So I want you to understand that God doesn't want you to just uh, abandon your ordinary life when you become a Christian. He doesn't, he doesn't mean for you to just think of that as something lower and unworthy of your time. Instead, he wants you to view it from a spiritual lens and say, God who saved me, who called me uh, by my name and now I follow Jesus, this God who saved me has given me the, the job that I now have. It, it has come to me from him. That's my understanding of it. Now a lot of you say, well, that may be true, but you just don't know what I have to do on Monday. Um, you know, my, my, maybe my supervisor is a complete jerk face, and I have a hard time believing that God would give this to me because this is an extraordinary, fr- extraordinarily frustrating thing. Um, let's, let's just pressure test that against this same passage, and we'll just skip down just a little bit. Let's look at verse 22. Um, actually, verse 21. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Um, so, brothers, in whatever condition each one was called... Let them remain with God in whatever condition. And it could very well be that the condition in which you're called is really frustrating. That your present set of circumstances is, is a hard one. And what this passage is teaching us is that even when it's hard, God is with you in that. God has called you uh, to be trustworthy in that and and. Work hard in that, okay? And we'll look at that a little more in depth uh, in just a moment. So is everybody, everybody good? You're, that's making sense. Okay, great. Let's look at the next misunderstanding, which is a fun one. Um, and this one is work is a curse on humanity. So work itself is a curse on humanity. Where does that come from? Um, let's, let's see where we might get that. Um, and we'll just spend a few minutes looking at this, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up. So let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Just go ahead and turn there. Um, let me add a little bit more color to this particular misunderstanding. So this misunderstanding sort of looks like this. It kind of sounds like this. Work is mostly a burden, so at best it should be avoided, But if that is not possible, it should be gotten over with as early in life as possible so that more of one's lifetime can be enjoyed, okay, Uh, in leisure, right? So this sort of attitude toward work is like, work is like something I got to do, but I don't really enjoy it too much, so let's just work really hard for a short amount of time. That way, I can fish, (laughs) you know, do all the things that I enjoy doing. Um, in the leisure category. So where does this come from, that work itself 
is a curse. And maybe in the afterlife you think, oh, in this perfect heaven, there is no work. It'll be fantastic. We'll just sing. Um, we'll do all sorts of things that aren't related to work. It'll be great. Uh, you may think that. So look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, this is where it comes from a little bit. So as, if you're familiar with Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result of sin, God pronounced uh, brokenness over the world. Um, and this is part of it. This is part of the, the, the curse, if you want to, to use that word, but part of the sentence pronounced by God as a result of our fallen behavior in sinning against him. This is what he says to Adam. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So by the sweat of your face, that's um, a, a metaphor, a picture for the difficulty and the strenuous nature of work. It's hard. It's hard now. And when you and I go to work tomorrow and it's hard, we should be thinking about this from a Christian perspective and say, God, I understand the reason why I'm so frustrated with what I do is because of how serious sin really is in this world. My own sin and the brokenness of everyone's sin and the state of the world that we all live in is a result of this aspect. I'm experiencing this. Glory be to God for Jesus in that while I'm here doing this work, um, I know there is a hope to come because of the gospel, because Jesus has come and redeemed us. And one day we will be delivered fully from this aspect of work, this broken work. Um, but work itself isn't the curse. It isn't the curse. Work is broken. But work isn't the curse itself the thing to be avoided. Okay, so let's look at um, what, why do we believe that? If you rewind just a little bit in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, this is prior to the fall. This is prior to Adam and Eve sinning. What are they doing? What did God give them to do? The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. They're working. They're, that, they are doing that. They are working even before um, they sinned against God. God saw this to be a good thing and a perfect thing. And, and this is what's unique about uh, Christianity. Uh, in all the world's religions, only Christianity gives us this. A picture of God himself as the great and perfect worker. God getting his hands dirty, forming man from the dust of the ground. So if you look at ancient Greek mythology, you will not find this among the gods. You will find among those gods the sophisticated, high and lofty presiders over the lowerlings who don't trouble themselves with work. The truly sophisticated in the Greek society are the ones who are thinking deeply and engaging in philosophy. 
Only Christianity comes to us with a God who truly is God, who is the great and perfect worker. And it teaches us that we are his workmanship, is, is the way Paul describes us. God's doing the great work of, of redeeming humanity. Jesus came not as a member of the upper echelons of society, but Jesus is king and carpenter. Jesus himself, and this will be our, our final point, Jesus himself, um, when he came to us, he didn't come as many would have expected him to come. He didn't come as uh, a member of the elite class where he would gain acceptance among all the learned men. Instead, he came to us born in a manger, of all places, with an adoptive father who was a tectone. Tectone is Greek for um, carpenter, builder, craftsman. Joseph, his adoptive father, was a tectone. He, he was a builder of things. Now, speculation among scholars, some think, well, he probably worked with wood um, because tectone kind of means carpenter, so maybe he was a wood worker. It was the responsibility of um, the father in that ancient culture to pass on their trade to their sons at the age of 12. So we know that Jesus, whose dad was a carpenter, was the understudy, um, bloodying his knuckles, doing work, common man work. Not prestigious, not received as um, some you know, sophisticated occupation, just blue collar, salt of the earth, hardworking folks. This is Jesus. Uh, he has come to us in a way we can relate to. You know, you don't have to think, well, God, when I come to you um, about the details of my petty working life, are you going to understand that, Jesus? Do you really know what I go through? Yes, he does. He's, he certainly does. He knows exactly what we experience. You don't think that Jesus, with his dad um, working in the shop, knows what it's like to get the work, do the work, have the work go wrong, come up with a solution, source the materials, get the work finished, bid on the new work, put the bid together, get all of that in order, go with his dad, pitch it against your competitors, try to get new work, that rhythm of daily life, working life, this is Jesus. You know, he's, he's not some, you know, pale-skinned scholar a man of, uh, you know, a man of the books all the time. No, Christianity gives us a savior in Jesus that we can identify with. He is our savior. He's, he is um, the king of kings and the Lord of our common life. Okay, so let's, let's pray together and ask God to, to come and make uh, himself known in a, in a powerful way. Lord, we pray that you would help us to recalibrate our thinking on this subject, that however we understood ourselves uh, prior to this message, in, in relation to our jobs, 
that we would now see the beauty and the glory and the attractiveness of what the Bible teaches us. Uh, And we thank you so much for the Savior we have in Jesus, that you have given us one who we can bring all of our anxieties and cast all of our anxieties upon him. And we will find uh, empathy, we will find understanding and peace at his feet. And we ask that you would do that uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.